Welcome back to the 31st episode of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellett. Spencer Horowitz was nine years old when someone told him that he was a good baseball player for the first time. At that age, still trying to figure out how the sport worked and what it took to excel, Horowitz was unsure of even what qualified him as such. Someone said it when I was nine years old. I didn't believe it until about uh, junior year of high school. So I guess it took, it took a while for me to believe it. And it took a while, I guess it came from a different person and that's what gave it some impact. And it's all about, I think, who it comes from and not just the words that are being said. Horwitz had a strong external support system from friends, family, and even opposing team's parents. Still, it took nearly a decade for him to believe in himself. At first, it was just like parents of like other players and like friends, like you're a good baseball player, like grandparents. Yeah, like they're going to support me no matter what. And I knew that. And I thought that was them just like loving me and supporting me. But then like I started to become, I guess, like an impact player and could like separate myself more in like high school. And that's when like my high school coach started to say it. And he was someone that didn't give out compliments easy and always pushed me pretty hard. But yeah, once he said that and I got some recognition from some other coaches, that's when I started to believe it a little bit. When Radford University recruited him, Horwitz was ecstatic to continue the game that he loved so much at the collegiate level. He was playing a good brand of baseball in 2015 and had gotten recognition at the high school level in Timonium, Maryland. Radford was coming off a uh, regional, a top 15 team in the country when I committed there. So I was really excited to go play for that program. And I had, I was lucky enough to play as a freshman, had a strong freshman season. And that allowed me to start getting some recognition from like some scouts. And then sophomore year had another solid year, which got me to get more recognition from scouts and get me an invite to the Cape Cod League. And just being around that elite talent up there was it was unbelievable. It was eye-opening for sure. And just to be there and be able to talk baseball and see what they're doing and just learn from each other was a special thing. The Cape Cod League, for those unaware of summer league baseball, is the most prestigious summer ball program in the country. Players are recommended by their college coaches and the tryouts are invitation only. It's produced more than 1,000 MLB players since the late 1800s. And notable recent alumni of the Cape Cod League are Aaron Judge, Walker Bueller, Kyle Schwarber, Buster Posey, and DJ LeMayhew. This was Horowitz's time to prove that he could hang. Coming from a smaller school, it was definitely intimidating. And because we aren't, Radford wasn't, it's no Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Texas, all those schools. But we have kids from all over, like you said, from California to Florida, no matter where you're from, everyone goes there. And uh, it's definitely intimidating seeing those schools like next to the name. But when you take that jersey off and everyone's wearing the same jersey, it definitely uh, makes it a little easier that you're not. It's not. Oh, it's not Joe Schmo from Alabama. It's just Joe on the Cape Cod team. And it's just it was really cool to put myself right next to him and see that I could hang with him. The first panic attack took place on the field during his junior year. Uh, I don't believe that it was failure that triggered it. I think it was more um, 
unresolved just life situations that I never like I try to just push away and just get through that I never really faced and more or less instead of failure but just more pressure because I didn't really like struggle in my first year of college I had a great year my second year of college was another good year and then after that second year is when it started to happen and that's when it, the you start getting rumors of the draft and you go to the Cape Cod League and that's a prestigious league where I'm playing with kids from all over and that's when that pressure started to build but I was doing well it's it's not it wasn't that it was failure it was more like more like I thought I would this stuff would pass with success kind of thing once you achieve this it'll be good or once you have this title or win this or get this amount of money everything will be good but you go to sleep with yourself no matter what and that's that's half the battle initially I had no idea what it was and I just felt like something was off something was looming for a few a week or two and my family came and visited when I was playing baseball and I pulled my brother aside I was like hey like I don't know what this like feeling is but like I feel like something's like off and I didn't know he's like oh you're fine you probably just missed your family a little homesick I was like yeah you're probably right like and like that was all he thought of it that's all I thought of it I was like yeah that's makes sense like haven't been away from home for this time this amount of time in a while so yeah I was like whatever and then it didn't go away and then that led to full-fledged panic attack and then that just started a like I guess an episode of panic attacks and then just continuing to come for two three weeks of just every day maybe once an hour or once a day or every other day just depending on what was going on and yeah and then I was lucky enough to have my mom who she's a nurse and she's had struggled with panic attacks herself and been through her has faced her like own struggles with mental health as well so I guess she understood what I was feeling I like struggled to like articulate it to her but she could like pull it out of me a little bit and she got me to doctors psychiatrists therapists people that understood and helped her and she thought would help me and luckily I had her and she was a big crutch for me in that time and got me, helped me get through it and learn about it. And I guess the big piece was the educational pieces. I didn't know what it was or what I was feeling or how to get it out of me or how to talk about it. The freshman All-American felt trapped. Although he had been producing for Radford, leading the team in batting average, there was a disconnect. Yeah, I was definitely a lesser recruit and if you told me we'd have someone in my class that was going to be a freshman All-American, I don't think anyone would have said me on day one. And I don't even think I would have said me because we had some studs for sure. But yeah, that definitely uh, changed how people viewed me a little bit instead of just Spencer, the baseball player. It was Spencer, like the good baseball player. And it was just different. And it definitely, definitely changed you and people definitely put you on a different pedestal after that, but I wasn't a fan of it really, but it was what it was. During that time following his summer in the Cape, 
he was reconsidering whether baseball really was the right move. When I left the Cape, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to go back to school and play my junior year. I was, didn't know if that was, that was uh, causing it because when I had my initial panic attack, it was on the baseball field, like I said. And uh, so it was kind of like a PTSD thing where I was scared to step back on the field and I was worried. And I remember my junior year in the fall, we had our first workout and I was, that was another place I had a panic attack was in the gym. And I was, I was petrified in there. And I was like, all right, I got through that. Now we got to get through the first team practice. And then it's the first team scrimmage. And then it was the first game. I remember I was sitting in my hotel bed right before our first game, our junior year at uh, East Carolina. And I was trembling. I was sitting there with my roommate and I was like with my best friend I was like dude I'm so scared right now but like it was like a good scared it was like I'm excited scared don't know what's gonna happen don't know how I'm gonna feel out there I was playing a new position and there was a bunch of fans that were heckling me the whole time in left field but it was it turned out to be amazing one of my favorite weekends but yeah it was I definitely thought about it and I'm I know a lot of other players have thought about it too and I know, like, I know now that I wouldn't, I'm so glad I didn't quit and I couldn't imagine quitting because I'd never forgive myself. That's so easy to say now, knowing what I know, knowing that I was going to get through it. But in that moment when I wasn't doing well and I was struggling, I just wanted a way out. And I, if that meant quitting baseball, I would have done it. And just, I didn't know what was causing it and didn't know how to get away from it and through like, therapy and medication and just talking about it it's I've learned that it, luckily it wasn't baseball but it was a numerous other things and yeah but in that moment just that feeling of hopelessness and doing anything to get out is just the way I was feeling. He never felt like he could truly share what he was going through with his teammates. Because there's still a stigma or there was, or I wasn't comfortable. I wasn't ready to be open about it. And I was a 20-year-old, 21-year-old kid that was still worried about having friends, what people thought of me. I still, still do sometimes and still battling that. It's, it's being comfortable with yourself and being comfortable talking about it. And if people are going to judge you, who cares? And I, I cared in the moment and I didn't feel comfortable talking to them about it and then just slowly have grown and talked to more and more people about it. And like the more I've talked about it, the more I've realized that more people are more like me than I think. And I think one of the biggest issues we have is that we all think we're so different when we're not. When he was met with teammates who shared his anxiety, he finally recognized it as a chance to talk about and work through the panic attacks that he was enduring. The response? Not at all how he envisioned it going. Yeah, it, it definitely was not the response I expected. And uh, I'm definitely lucky to have such great people around me that one felt confident enough to open up to me as I felt like I could to them. And two, that they, even though I remember I told my best friend at college and I was like, hey, like this is what I'm going through. And he's like, I don't understand 
but I'm going to be here and support you. And I can't relate. And I've never, I've never struggled with that. And, but he said, if you need anything, I'm here. And I was like, that's all I need is just someone there just to talk to sometimes and someone who would get me out of a funk. And that's, and even if like you're someone that doesn't, doesn't, isn't that educated about what they're going through or, but just being there and listening and talking and trying to understand is more than what most people expect and more than what they need a lot of the times. He says that the response he received from his teammates boosted his confidence to approach this topic on a larger scale. Honestly, it was the way people reacted. It was the support. It was because I could have opened up to one person and they could have said, stop acting like that or shake it off or stop being a wussy or something. And that could have just shut it down completely. But that's not what happened. And luckily it grew. And that just gave me confidence to talk about it more. And it's just kept growing. And then I've talked about it on numerous podcasts now. And I just want to continue to grow it. And this is something I'm so passionate about and just want to keep just sharing my story. And hopefully if it affects one person and one person listens to this and it helps them, then that's, that's better than any home run I've ever hit. The panic attacks he had been having stemmed from deeper-seated issues, but they manifested masquerading as perfectionism and the need for control on the baseball field. Proving to himself that he belonged in collegiate baseball took a while, but switching his mindset to one which focused solely on improvement for the sake of his own mental state changed his entire view. Proving it to myself is, one, much more important, two, all I can do, but I don't make the end-all decisions. I don't make the lineup every day. I don't, I don't decide who plays. I don't control where I'm playing next year. I don't decide when I go to the big leagues. So that's when I believe proving it to other people is important, that I have to prove to the organization that I do belong here and that I can be a big leaguer one day. Acceptance, I feel like, is a huge piece in just accepting what you can't control and the outside factors that are going to happen. And you practice so hard and just trusting that work and learning to let go and eventually just say, like, whatever happens, happens. Because I did everything I could that day. I did everything I could to prep. And if you didn't, that's the issue. The issue isn't in, oh, the umpire made a bad call or the fielder made a great play. That's not the issue. The issue is if you're not doing everything you can to be the best you can be. And it's just accepting whatever the results are. One of the most difficult aspects of working through his panic attacks was coming up against the nature of the game of baseball itself. It's just learning how to deal with failure. It's accepting the failure. It's accepting that this is a really hard game that you can do everything right and still fail. It's not like football where you can throw an interception and you're gonna be back out there two minutes later with another drive. It's you mess up, you're sitting down for 20 minutes in the field thinking about what I should have done, what I could have done. And then you have to go back and refocus for another 20 minutes where you can get five at-bats that last all of five minutes in a four-hour game. It's it's learning to to just focus on those at-bats, taking them each individual, and it's breaking it down from an at-bat to even a pitch to even the next moment. It's just, it's so, so 
time consuming, but not. If that, that, I don't know. It's just you're, it's such a long game and such a long season that you just have to break it down piece by piece. He left Radford after his junior season when he got drafted in the 24th round of the 2019 MLB First Year Player Draft by the Toronto Blue Jays. I actually met with the Blue Jays before the draft and had a long talk with Colson Barbish, who was the scout that uh, signed me. And we kind of, he just picked my brain and we had a long, I think, hour, two hour long conversation just about baseball, about where I want to go with it what my approach, what I do, what I see myself as and all that. And I think that was actually one of the, the best conversations I had with the team. And yeah, I think that helped a lot as well. Now, Horwitz is in Hillsborough, Oregon, playing for the high A affiliate, the Vancouver Canadians, while the US-Canada border is closed. I'm just grateful, I'm much more grateful. And like I said before, there's no other life I'd want to live. I'm, I'm living out a dream. and. I would have thought the dream would be sitting in Hillsborough, Oregon, talking to Julia, but this is exactly where I want to be right now, and that's an awesome feeling. Now that he's acclimated to the longer MILB schedule, the panic attacks have dispersed slightly. The focus now is on coping mechanisms, both during and surrounding game time. Like I feel like I'm learning to do it now more than ever, and when this is my first full season and I'm playing 120 games this year, that, that means I'm getting... I mean, I'm getting 500 at-bats this year when my longest college season was 60 games. And like I said before in college, I didn't struggle as much. And if you struggle for three games in college, it's a bigger deal because that's 12% of your games. But if you struggle for three games in a 120-game season, that's nothing. That's just that's just a blink of an eye. And we have, we have five weeks left. And that's 30 games left. And we're three quarters of the way down the season right now, but these five weeks and these last hundred at bats mean just as much as the first hundred. So it's just that constant keep pushing yourself and keep breaking it down to something you can micromanage and handle. That's not to say that it doesn't get difficult playing in front of thousands of fans and moving up through a major league system. He looks up to professional athletes like Simone Biles, who's publicly dealt with her mental health on the world stage. Imagine if someone came to your work every day, there was a thousand people watching you write an email and were booing you the whole time and said, you suck, go home. And people don't think like that. They don't realize that one, this is our job. Two, we're trying our best. Three, we've worked our whole lives to get here. And we just, we're so close, but yet so far. But yeah, it's, we're, we're humans too. And it's not, I'm at the, microscopic level of professional sports. I know that, and I'm not by any means Simone Biles or Kevin Love, but they are definitely people that have opened the gateway and they're unbelievably courageous to have that, uh, have that pedestal of being where they are and the following that they have and be able to step down from the Olympics is more courageous than doing her triple axle double flip that she can do and the fact that she was willing to put herself first even though that she worked so hard and to get where she was and it's just the fact that she was able to do that I don't think people are giving her enough credit for what she did I hope it gets to the point where 
we're not just seen as entertainment and we're seen as human beings. And I'm sure a lot of people do see that, but a lot of people don't. And you see it all the time and guys getting to their breaking point and it gets ugly, but you have to just learn one, how to deal with it, two different skills on that can help you. And I think the more we talk about it and the more not just athletes, but also humans get in touch with what's going on on the inside and stop running and stop being in denial of their own thoughts and not being able to sit with themselves, that it'll get easier. Horwitz is also grateful for the sports psychology staff that the Blue Jays organization installs in each of its minor league affiliates. Luckily with the Blue Jays, we have uh, sports psychologists that are one on each team and they travel with us and they help us with mindfulness and stuff like that to get us in the best headspace and help us with different techniques that help us during the game after the game and whenever the blue jays have introduced me to more uh more like a sports side of it sports performance side and how to use it during a game and how to prep uh to get the best out of myself more or less i'd say these mental repetitions have helped him off the diamond as well. He now practices mindfulness and meditation regularly to help the part of his anxiety not linked to his performance. Similar to baseball, it's been a, instead of a constant struggle and constant battle of I need to do well, I, or I need to feel better. It's just acceptance and saying, this is me. Like, like if you, if you had diabetes, you weren't going to go without insulin, so I'm not going to go without my medication that helps me, and I'm not going to go without my practices that help me, so I'm just going to, I know it's going to be there, and I know it's something I'm going to have to work on always, and that's okay. Through practices of mindfulness, like breathing, getting back to the moment, and just, like I said before, trying to break each thing down and not listen to that that inner voice that says, oh, you suck, oh, you're not good enough, or not listening to the fans that are like, you're worthless, you don't belong. Yeah, it's just, you just go back to, you got teammates around you, you got how to have a few people around you that you can always go to and trust. And when your own support isn't enough, you can reach out to them. Always. I know I have a few people I can always call when I'm feeling down and just being hard on myself and they'll just, they'll give me a little pick me up or snap me out of it or something what happens to me the most like currently is just the what ifs about the past and what i wish i could have done which is obviously out of my control completely and then the worry about the next and say you get out your first at bat and then you start thinking like oh no i'm one for my last nine and i'm spiraling and i don't want to go one for ten and then the team's not gonna like me and then I get sent down and then I get released and then what am I gonna do after baseball? And it's all just the spiral effect and it's learning how not to go down that rabbit hole. It's just like in social media when you click one thing and then you add and add on to that. It's the same thing. You just can't get in those rabbit holes where you just have to take it pitch by pitch, moment by moment, because once once that pitch happens, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's just accepting it and trying to move forward and just live right where your feet are. Through therapy, medication, and personal growth, Horowitz sees the light at the end of the tunnel 
and he's happy to have modalities that he trusts. Uh, I'm definitely working through it and I'm definitely a lot better than I was. But I think it's something that's always gonna be there and something that it doesn't just go away. It's not, like I said, I compared it to diabetes already. Diabetes just doesn't go away. It's just, it's a, it's a disease that you can't see. And it's just something that the medicine isn't your typical insulin kind of thing. When I asked Horowitz what he thought his limit was, he said, I think the limit in baseball is to be determined because I haven't gotten to the point yet where I feel I don't belong. Um, and I think the limit on my life is endless because I'm actually listening to Matthew McConaughey's book right now and he hit me with a good quote yesterday. It was, uh, roofs are man uh, roofs are man-made, so don't put a roof on yourself. And so I'm going to try not to do that. And I'm just going to see where life takes me. I, I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know. Five years from now, I could be in the MLB. I could be traveling the world. I could be sitting at a desk. I don't know where I'm going to be. And that's the beauty of it is you never know what's going to happen. And just accepting all the struggles that come with it because the struggles are what makes it great. You find out who you are. Thanks for listening to Spencer Horwitz's story today. If you want to follow his journey to the majors, you can follow him on Instagram at Spencer underscore Horowitz. If you or someone you know has a story to share, send us a direct message on Instagram at Closer Mental. Thanks so much for tuning into episode 31 of Closer Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Melby. Next week, Sam Carey joins us from the University of Iowa women's soccer program to talk about how her collegiate playing days almost didn't happen. Until then, though, see you next week.